Hey everyone, this is George Kroos, and welcome back to another epic book review. Alright, this is uh this epic book review. Uh I know you're gonna if you're in education, if you're outside of education, you're gonna love it. It's actually not an education book, which most of my epic book reviews are not and did I say it? Okay, I just had to play it again. So <laughs> this is actually a book called Unreasonable Hospitality. And I will tell you straight up, it's probably uh one of my favorite books I've read in the last 10, 15 years. And it really shook me. And the last book that I can remember that really made me rethink some of the things that I do and also aligned with my values was probably Dan Pink's Drive. I, I, I love that book, but it really changed me to look at how we do assessments, how we celebrate people and really kind of focused on motivation. And I absolutely uh, still to this day, uh, highly suggest that book by Dan Pink. It's it's one of my favorites of all time. But this book, Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara, absolutely awesome book. And what I'm going to do today is just tell you a little bit about it, give you some quotes I love and why, and, and try to make some connections to uh, how it connects to education. And I'm going to be honest with you, if you've not picked up my book, Innovator's Mindset, I would suggest if you like this book, I kind of feel I was reading this book, there's so many crossovers between what uh, Gadara is saying in his work in, you know, leading and really bringing a restaurant up to excellence and to um, what we do in education. My focus in the innovator's mindset, he really focuses on building people's strengths, kind of knowing the people you serve and how we move backwards from there and not simply talking about your customers or your students, but the people that you work with every single day, bring out the best in them. So I'm going to talk about some of those connections uh, in this book. But before um, I, I I do that, I, I just, I, I again want to reiterate, this book is amazing. I, I really loved it. And um, I would suggest, especially if you're in school leadership, to check out this book, if you're an educator, and really try to make your connections to what Gadara is talking about in the book to what we do in education. There's so much crossover here. I would highly suggest it. Book study would be absolutely fantastic. And that's the thing with these book studies. I, I'm telling you all of this. Uh, I don't know Will Gadara, but I, I may, and maybe I'm a bias in this because he talks about his experience of running a restaurant. And if you know anything about me, uh, my parents were immigrants to Canada uh, from Greece. They met actually in a, a small city called Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, in Canada and they actually worked in the restaurant industry and then they uh, had their own restaurant and so I, I basically kind of grew up in a restaurant uh, I spent most of my lunches as a kid going to the restaurant watching the Flintstones I spent my evenings there and it, it just was a really interesting experience and there's so much that I learned from my parents and how they serve people how they made people feel really welcome and a lot of times when I talk about education, I think about the family restaurant and the experience my parents created for people coming in and how synonymous that was with the work that I try to do in education and still try to do to this day and how important that is to me. So probably that's one of the reasons that I enjoy this book. I'm also a very competitive person and why that matters and how that connects to this book was I was really kind of quickly uh, 
cooked uh, into the book when Gadar was talking about he was so excited, and this is right at the beginning of the book, that his restaurant was named as one of the top 50 restaurants in the world, which is absolutely an incredible honor. And then when he went to the ceremony, he didn't realize that he ranked them. And the, 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 the restaurants were ranked, you know, in the top 50. And then uh, he found out he was number 50 and he's mad. <laughs> it was kind of interesting to think about that, that you are considered one of the 50 best restaurants in the world. And you're like, yeah, we could be better. And I love that. And I, I think about no matter where you are in life, if once you stop growing, that's when, you know, people start losing their purpose and their passion. And so even if you're the best restaurant in the world, that's not a time to kind of rest on your laurels and to just say, okay, we did it. There, there is no done in, in, in growth and life. And I think especially as educators, if we're not continuously growing and trying to make ourselves better, it doesn't necessarily send a good message to our kids who are asking constantly to grow and develop and learn. So that was one of the reasons uh, I really, really loved um, the book. And there's a quote that I want to share before I get into the synopsis that I, I actually garnered from Chad GPT because I kind of like showing how um, I use some of that AI technology, even in the simplest of ways to help me kind of formulate these podcasts and kind of talk about what I learned. But this quote um, really said a lot about the kind of the, the overall feeling of the book. And Gadara says this, that let your energy impact the people you're talking to as opposed to the other way around. And when he was talking about that, it's really kind of understanding that, you know, there's things going on in the world. And a lot of times we can easily say, well, that's going to affect me. And that's how I affect it. And we kind of let the outside external factors of our life affect our mood as opposed to lifting up our moods and trying to affect other people. And when I thought about this quote, there's something that I really challenge in education. And I, I guess I shouldn't even say education, but just organizations in general is that you as a great leader, you know, what you want to do is that you create a culture that once you leave, that it will continuously go on without you. And to some extent, I agree that there's systems that you can put in place. There's, you know, little things that you can do that, you know, make life easier. Uh, there's little things from your legacy that will probably last long after your time. But culture is made up of people. And the thing with um, great leaders and, you know, great educators, when they leave an organization, to think that you can just simply kind of just plug and play and just put someone else in after there. I think that kind of loses understanding of like how culture works and how connected it is to humans being. And I, did I say that accidentally or did, was that intentional? You know, humans being and human beings, right? A little bit different uh, definition and different thinking there. There's people that are in organizations and they're full of energy. They're full of life. And as soon as they walk into a room there, they, they change the room. And to think that that has nothing to do with what we do in education, that has nothing to do with leadership, is kind of lost. To think that somebody's just going to come into a new place and it will just kind of run is kind of a robotic I ideal of leadership, that people really do matter. And I know that there's people in organizations that simply one person can totally change the trajectory of an entire organization. And unfortunately, they can do that 
in a negative way as well as a positive way. And I'm sure that if you really think about that, you could probably point to people in your career, in your life that have done exactly that, that once they came there, things got way better. Or once they came there, things got way worse. And it didn't really matter the culture before because, and this is one of my reasons, uh, I always want to please my boss. And as much as that sounds really compliant and I'm known for my work in innovation, I'm also a, a people pleaser. I want to do well. I want to be a, feel appreciated. And people will do things to feel appreciated by um, the people above them in any hierarchy. And that, that actually affects things. So that, that quote again, let your energy impact the people you're talking to as opposed to the other way around. Uh, just think of that. That is really thinking about how much of an impact we can have on others, but also don't think of it as just a, a positive. It's negative. When people walk into a room and they're grumpy and, you know, I think about this with my own family, how I walk into a room, how I start my day, really trying to get, you know, centered when I start the day, because how's that going to affect the people closest to me? How's that going to affect the people that I have, you know, meetings with and connect with in a day really how that affects people. And that, that's something that really stuck to me, uh, stuck with me when I was, I was reading this book. And so here's the synopsis of uh, Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara, uh, as solicited from ChatGPT. And just like a, a little thing, I do, why I'm doing this is uh, it's me referencing ChatGPT and, and not pretending that I wrote this myself. But like, this is a, a second brain. This is a helpful tool. And I just thought, you know, this is way easier for me than to write my own synopsis. And there's things that you'll know what are chat GPT and what are mine. And you'll figure that out really easily. And so how I actually got this was I just asked chat GPT do a seven tweet synopsis of this book. And I removed the hashtags because they, they actually did hashtags for each one, which was different than other books I reviewed. Um, but yeah, it was helpful. So here's the synopsis. Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara is a book about the art and science of hospitality, providing insights and practical advice to create unforgettable experience for experiences for guests. Uh, Gadar is a former co-owner of 11 Madison Park, shares stories and examples from his experience in the restaurant industry to illustrate his points. He emphasizes the importance of empathy, listening, and communication skills to truly understand and connect with guests. Gadar also stresses the significance of anticipating guests' needs, being proactive, and exceeding expectations. And that, that part, um, really kind of exceeding expectations, that is kind of a, a big, obviously, if you just think of the title, unreasonable hospitality is going above and beyond. And that's a great you know, indicator of you know, what people can, should do in schools and really kind of thinking about you know, how do we create these experiences that kids are rushing to be in our schools, that families want to be a part of our schools, and that exceeding expectations was a, a huge theme of this book. Uh, back to the synopsis. The book explores the challenges of leadership, including building and leading a team, creating a positive work culture, and managing difficult situations. Gadara advocates for a culture of excellence and continuous improvement where feedback and learning are valued and embraced. Can you see the connection to education in in just the synopsis here he also highlights the role of technology and hospitality including the use of data and analytics to personalize the guest experience and just kind of going off here uh there's some really interesting parts with that and i don't want to read the ruin the book for you i'm just going to share with some of my insights but the thing that uh, the idea of 
data driven. I, I've always been against that terminology because it's like the data is actually drives what we do and we actually ignore the people in front of us. I'm really about human driven, learner driven experience and using data to inform and to, you know, make us better, but not to be driven um, by what we get from technology. And finally, overall, Unreasonable Hospitality is a thought provoking and inspiring read that will change the way you think about hospitality and customer service. Love the book. Uh, the synopsis is pretty bang on. And so here are some of the quotes that really resonated with me that I really loved and some of my own connections as I was reading this that I connected to my work in innovators mindset, but just about my overall thoughts. The first quote really hit me when I read this. Uh, Gadara shares, former Navy captain David, David Marquette says that in too many organizations, the people at the top have all the authority and none of the information, while the people on the front line have all the information and none of the authority. Does that sound familiar in education? Wow, that hit me. And I really think about this, that there's often this divide about what educators are doing in classrooms and what's going on at central office. And there is a place, to be honest with you, where people at central office, people administration, they're very valuable to the work that's actually done in the classrooms and vice versa. What's happening in the classrooms, the authority part, there's huge benefits. And so it's not saying that one doesn't need the other, but in my opinion, it's actually how do we utilize the experiences and um, opportunities that each group has to kind of connect with one another. And something that I've said forever is that if you make decisions in the classrooms, then you better be in classrooms. And I'll say that again. If you make decisions that impact classrooms, you better be in the classrooms. And I'm not just talking about central office. I'm talking about politicians as well. A lot of times decisions are made based on our perception of what school was like when we we're kids, but it's ignoring some of the realities of what is happening right now. And I, I think about two parts of this. The first, when I worked in Parkland School Division, one of the things I really appreciated was we went through this mission and visioning process. And it wasn't people sitting in a back room that were worked in central office and um, basically nobody paid attention to what was happening in the classrooms. And we just made this mission and vision and said, hey, this is something we created together. And that was a total lie. The process was really interesting because they brought not only students, uh, teachers in the classroom, but also community members, um, people that, you know, business people that had no kids in school, because guess what, what happens in schools affects, you know, our communities, you know, our businesses, our business community. So they brought all these people in to get their insights, to get their thoughts. And then they co-created this. And then they actually shared like, Hey, here's some of the things that we like, here's some of the things we're struggling with. And then they you know, kind of remodeled it. And that was like a really interesting process because a lot of times those visions and missions are created without the input of the people that were expected to kind of implement these things. And so I, I love that. And, and so on the other side of it too, and this is something I'm going to toot my own horn here. Uh, I worked in central office and to say that I struggle with it, um, 
not that I had trouble with a job, but I just, I, I love being around kids and I felt that it was really hard to be around students. So one of the things I would always do was I would say, look, I got a lot of admin work. I got a lot of like emails, forms, all this stuff that I hated about central office I got to do. I don't need to be in my office. I'm going to go sit in a school. So I would actually call schools and say, hey, is there a, a teacher that would be comfortable with me being in the classroom for a few hours? And just sitting, I got, I'm not there to observe them. I just want to, I got to get some email done. And, and they would all say, oh yeah, this teacher would be fine, this teacher. And so I wouldn't like go in there with a superintendent entourage with all these people and just kind of, you know, walk through and stuff. I would just basically have a spot and sit there and be there. And this is something I would always say to the educators that, you know, welcome me into their classrooms is that I'm not here to observe you. I'm here to observe the environment um, that we're putting you in and how we can best support you. And that made people feel really comfortable because, you know, I was, I would see things like teachers standing on chairs because I was part of, you know, what we did with technology and they would be like holding iPads up, trying to catch Wi-Fi like that's ever worked. And it would dawn on me like, hey, this is not working. So if you have these teachers that are standing on chairs trying to catch Wi-Fi signals, obviously it's not working. And so this teacher is willing to stand on a chair, but a bunch of teachers, as soon as it doesn't work, they're never going to use it. So we got to make this seamless as possible. And I would sit in that room while I'd be watching the teacher. I remember one time specifically calling the IT department saying like, hey, this is not working. We need to get this fixed ASAP. This teacher needs us for the class. And she looked at me and she's like, thank you. Thank you so much. And I think it's really kind of understanding that when you're making those decisions, especially as an administrator, you have to be available in those classrooms. But it's also putting people in situations where um, they they are have the opportunity to make decisions without you know going through several uh, people that they can talk to that the people closest to kids you have to entrust them to make decisions that in the best interest of kids and one of the things I've talked about in innovators mindset is basically I'm not big on rules it's really the the only rule that I really encourage people to follow is to make what's in the best interest of kids, to make decisions in the best interest of kids and to have that flexibility. And I, I talked a lot about this in Innovator's Mindset is that sometimes, and, and this happens a lot in business, you know, I, I fly a lot and it's like, I talk to somebody, I'm looking at them, I'm like, you know the problem, you know easily to fix, but you gotta make 14 phone calls to actually get permission to do this. And how, how uncomfortable that makes that person who works at the counter at Starbucks, who, you know, works at the airline company, that they have to make these calls when they know what the right answer is. But they know they're not trusted. And when they're not trusted, they can't make the decision. And what's happening, the customer or the student or the parent is getting really frustrated because they're spending a lot of time because there's a lack of trust in that space. And so I'll read that quote again. Former Navy Captain David Marquette says that in too many organizations, the people at the top have all the authority and none of the information, while the people in the front line have all the information and none of the authority. So the big question that we need to consider with this is how do you ensure that you find a mix and match of both, that the people that are making the big decisions actually have more time in the classrooms and find those ways to to not just do superintendent entourages which are the worst thing in education well <laughs> one of the worst things because there's probably a huge list 
you know, but actually being there and, and observing those spaces that people are in so they can be successful, so we can remove barriers. Um, but also getting the people that are in the classrooms to have authority over making decisions and having that speed of trust. Uh, that's why I, I really um, love that, that quote. Uh, the next one I'm going to read to you uh, is, is this one. Make the charitable assumption, a reminder to assume the best of people, even when, or perhaps especially when, they weren't behaving particularly well. So instead of immediately expressing disappointment with an employee who has shown up late, um, and, and launching to a lecture on how they let the team down, ask first, you're late, is everything okay? And I love this. And I, I, when, I, when I first read this, I, I thought of this tweet that I actually shared in my book, Innovate Inside the Box, um, from Heather Thompson Day. And it goes like this. I had a student who was late to come, late to class come up to me afterward. I'm sorry I was late, he said. My mom died this morning. And I didn't know where to go. So I came here. And that was the day I decided to treat every single student as if I had no idea what they're going through. And that, that was such a powerful tweet, right? And uh, I saw a tweet the next day. And it's actually from David Terrio. Kind of, I don't know if he was responding to this or just coincidental. And he shared this. After 25 years of teaching, I realized that my favorite thing to say when a student walks in late is this. I'm glad you're here. And of course, we want kids to be on time. Of course, we want kids to show up and, you know, be respectful. And I think being respectful is, you know, part of it is being on time. I, I feel that if I'm late to a meeting that I agree to, it's me saying to somebody, I don't respect the time. I get that. Uh, I'm also an adult, right? And things come up. And so, you know, it comes up with adults as well. And that charitable assumption is something that's really positive. And, and think about, you know, when I went to school, and this actually still happens in schools to this day, um, when you'd come late to class, what would happen is that you'd come late to class and then you were sent to the office to get a slip to let people know that you were late so that you could come back to class so you can be even later than when you were first late in the first place. How does that build a relationship amongst a teacher? How does that build a relationship with the student? Does that actually help the student grow and become better? And you know, is there something going on that that person's always late? And I remember hearing the story and I thought it was really, really compelling about how sometimes we, we focus so much on changing the person, but not changing the environment. This teacher had shared with me that she was having kids who were continuously late to class and it was getting frustrating. So she, you know, did the late stuff thing, did all these things and she struggled. No, no matter what she was doing, it wasn't working. She couldn't get the kids to bed. So what she actually did was said, hey, we're going to actually have open seating in our classroom. And so because of this open seating, first come, first serve, you get the you get whatever seat you want. And so what she had done was she actually um, asked for some money, got some couches put into her classroom and they were right at the front of the class. So there's nice and comfy, chill. The kids that were actually continuously late would actually get there early because they wanted those couches so bad. They wanted to get those seats. So it wasn't a change of behavior that was asked for, you know, of the kids. You know, I think it's part of it, but really like, hey, how can the environment be a place where kids want to be? They, they're, they're rushing into our classrooms. And, you know, uh, it, are couches in your classroom going to solve all your problems? Yes. No, of course not. Right. Of course, they're not going to solve all your problems. But really thinking about what do I have control over and how can I improve a situation is something that is a really important thing to ask. When leaderships, when leaders say to me, oh, our teachers 
don't do this or our teachers are like so reluctant and resistant to this. My first question is maybe it's something you're doing and it's not to be offensive. It's not to get in their face. It's to get them to think like you actually have control over your own actions, but what you don't have is control over the actions of others. Are there things that you can do that would actually get teachers more on board? Maybe the ideas that you're sharing aren't that good. Maybe you need to question that too, right? Because that's what we can actually control. And when we assume that others aren't doing stuff uh, for nefarious reasons or for whatever, it doesn't actually improve the situation. We have to kind of look at things in a different light to, you know, maybe bring light to the situation. And so the last, the last uh, quote I'm going to share with you. I love this quote and I have a personal story with this one. Uh, being able to ask for help is a display of strength and confidence. It shows an understanding of your abilities and an awareness of what's happening around you. People who refuse to ask for help, who believe they can handle everything on their own are deceiving themselves and doing a disservice to those around them. Now, I have been blessed to have people in my life that have helped me significantly and helped me when I struggled the most. Uh, many of you might know the story. I basically um, had, had a, a mental breakdown. I don't know if it's a nervous breakdown, mental breakdown. I was just done. And I remember basically my deputy superintendent, Kelly Wilkins, who I've talked about 10 million times because she's the most incredible leader I've ever had. She basically just said, you got to go home. Like you got to, and not like go home for the day. Like you need some time off because you are, this is not going on a good path for you. And not like in a, 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 um, a punishing way or anything like that. But in a, like, if, if, if you don't get this, you know, sorted, it's not gonna be two weeks that you're gone for you. You might be the end of your career. Right. And so she gave me that time and she never made me feel uncomfortable and so she gave me an extent of that help and thank goodness. And I always trusted her that when I struggled, I could call her and say like, hey, I'm struggling with this. When, when I was a principal, there was lots of things new to me. And I always knew that I could call and say like, hey, I'm struggling with this situation. Here's something that, um, and that I, I don't really understand. And I, it was so, I was so appreciative that um, people are willing to help. And you get, you're surprised with that. What frustrates people sometimes is when you don't know and you just try to go it on your own when you could have simply asked. And sometimes the mistakes and the mess that you make, it takes 10 times longer to fix than it would have been just to ask the question in the first place. And so I always try to ask for help. And it was interesting as I was reading this book and read this quote, uh, my daughter Cleo was trying to make breakfast in bed. Um, she was doing, you know, being the sweet little daughter and she's six, right? So I know this is happening, letting her do her thing and she's got all these plates and then all of a sudden I hear smash and everything breaks. And then I'm like, what just happened? And then I heard the tears. Of course, I run out to see what's going on. And what's happening, she tried to carry everything upstairs and uh, just isn't able to, to do that. And she's crying, clean up the mess, clean that up, took you know a couple hours to do this. And, you know, as she kind of calmed down, I said, you know, in this situation, it's so sweet that you're trying to do a really nice thing, but you know, it would have been really hard to carry those plates and it would have been just easy for to ask for help and never, ever hesitate that if you know you're going to struggle, I know you want it to, your heart is so in the right place, but 
now we have to clean this up. You got scared. You could have cut yourself. All these other things. It could have been really, really bad. Don't ever hesitate because I'm always here to help you. I'll always take it. And she's like, well, you were in your office. I'm like, that's okay. I, I know I was in my office, but that's okay. I'm always here to help you. That's what dads do. And so I said, this is something that you have to take from the situation. Because sometimes, you know, when things go wrong, I always say, okay, what did we learn here? And she said, you know, if I'm struggling, I need to ask for help. Or if I'm concerned, ask for help. And it might have been like, hey, I'm going to just kind of be right beside you if you need help. And I'm going to just kind of watching you as you go through this. And I, I appreciate that she learned that at a young age. Because I think sometimes when we try to go things our own, we make things way worse. When we could have just asked for help. We could have just asked somebody. And, you know, um, be thoughtful of that, especially if you're in a leadership, is that, um, we encourage people to do this, but then once we see other people getting denied help um, for simple things, then you send a message that you're on your own, right? And does that actually help anybody? And that's one of the reasons I really love this book, this idea of unreasonable hospitality. How do you put people in a situation that they go so above and beyond for the people they serve but part of it is you going above and beyond for the people that are closest to your customers, the people that are closest to your kids and create an experience where people want to be around. And I think in education, this is something that's really important to me. Do we create schools that kids kick, scream and fight to get into because they're such an amazing experience that they go above and beyond? And I think, you know, as an educator, as an administrator, as a leader, I think the question is, are we just kind of doing the same thing over and over again? Or are we trying to create something that's way better than what we ever experienced as kids? And even, I know this sounds weird, that aligns with what we hoped when we first got into the profession. And this really kind of took me into, you know, the work that I do, how I can serve people, how I can connect with them. It reaffirmed a lot of things for me. It challenged me to do some stuff different in my work right now. It really made me think of how it aligns to my own work and innovators mindset, innovates of the box. I cannot recommend this book enough. Unreasonable Hospitality, Will Gadara. It's an easy read. Lots of, actually lots of funny moments. Lots of kind of light bulb moments. I hope you enjoy it. You can check it out in the link down below. I also uh, shared a link to my book, The Innovator's Mindset. I think it would be like a perfect companion. And, and I, like, I know this sounds like self-promotional because it is. Uh, in the sense that I think that a lot of the stuff I talk about innovation, people think it's just like all about technology. It's not. It's about bringing out the best in people. It's about putting people in situations where they figure out their own solutions. It When I wrote an innovator's mindset, one of the things I said is that if I can tell you how to be innovative, then it's not really innovative, right? It's actually about putting people in the situation where they feel comfortable to take risks, try different things, all in pursuit of creating something better. And that's why I think I really resonated with the book, but it also gave me some new ideas. I encourage you to check both books out. Um, thank you so much for, um, for joining me for another epic book review. I'd love to hear your comments, your questions. Write them down in the comments down below, but let's go out. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for all you do. Take care.